Michael Ray. No. Sign of the Times. Definitely not. The Batman soundtrack. Oh, Star Wars is it? Uh, no. Same coming. I like it. Hello and welcome. You are listening to Goat or Go, a comprehensive look into the 2020 Rolling Stone 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. I'm your host, Wendy Kay. Hello, all you music lovers out there. So right now, I'm recording during a pandemic, and a lot of musical artists are not releasing any new music. So radio has been kind of stagnant for the past couple of months. And like a lot of people, I get a lot of my music from Spotify. And, you know, there's only so many PlayStations that I particularly like to listen to. But I also kind of feel like I don't have that much of a musical background. I'm not a record producer. I'm not a label maker. I am not a studio mixer. I am not an artist. And just recently, Rolling Stone magazine published their 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. And this article had been previously published in 2003 and also in 2012. And I just want to read the introduction to the 2020 version. Rolling Stone's list of the 500 Greatest Albums of All Time was originally published in 2003, with a slight update in 2012. Over the years, it's been the most widely read and argued over feature in the history of the magazine, in parentheses, Last year, the RS500 got more than 63 million views on the site, end parentheses. But no list is definitive. Tastes change, new genres emerge, the history of music keeps getting rewritten. So we decided to remake our greatest albums list from scratch. To do so, we received and tabulated top 50 album lists from more than 300 artists, producers, critics, and music industry figures, from radio programmers to label heads, like Atlantic Records CEO Craig Kilman. The electorate includes Beyonce, Taylor Swift, and Billie Eilish, rising artists like her, Tara Wack, and Lindsay Jordan of Snail Mail, as well as veteran musicians such as Adam Clapton and The Edge of U2, Raekwon of the Wu-Tang Clan, Gene Simmons, and Stevie Nicks. When we first did the RS500 in 2003, people were talking about the death of the album, in quotes. The album and especially the album release, is more relevant than ever. As of 2003, we allowed votes for compilations and greatest hits albums, mainly because a well-made compilation can be just as coherent and significant as an LP, because compilations help shape music history, and because many hugely important artists recorded their best work before the album had arrived as a predominant format. Of course, it could be argued that embarking on a project like this is increasingly difficult in the era of streaming and fragmented taste. But that was part of what made rebooting the RS500 fascinating and fun. 86 of the albums on the list are from this century, and 154 are new additions that weren't on the 2003 or 2012 versions. The classics are still the classics, but the canon keeps getting bigger and better. And it's written by lots of people. I'm assuming that they're all a part of Rolling Stone magazine, and I should know a little bit more about their work. But I am thankful they embarked upon this journey and created this list. So this list was a great opportunity for me to expand my musical education and for me to get a better understanding of what makes an album great and what critics kind of think makes great music. So here's what I'm going to do. 
I'm going to rank and give my first initial thoughts and opinions about the 2020 greatest albums of all time. And then I want to also compare it to the albums that had previously occupied this list and give my initial thoughts and opinions about those and maybe compare if I think that those albums from 2003 and 2012 are more significant or more interesting to have been put in the 2020 version. Because I want to know kind of what music has changed and what people's opinions about music has changed. So won't you, dear listener, join me on this musical journey as we begin in the 500th spot with Arcade Fire's Funeral from 2004. Rolling Stone had this to say about Funeral. Loss, love, forced coming of age, and fragile generational hope, Arcade Fire's debut touched on all these themes as it defined the independent rock of the 2000s. Built on family ties, in parentheses, leader Wynne Butler, his wife Renee Chasson, his brother Will, and parentheses, the Montreal band made symphonic rock that truly rocked simultaneously outsized and deeply personal, like the best pop. But for all its sad realism, Butler's is music that can find solace and purpose in communal celebration. Nice. Very sweet. So Arcade Fire's funeral had been previously covered by Rolling Stone and had actually been placed on their 2012 list at number 151. Now it's at 500, and I'm not quite sure exactly why they put it at number 500. I mean, that is a significant drop on the list, but I will give you listeners my initial thoughts and feelings about this album. I want to start off by saying that I am very new to Arcade Fire's music. To me, Arcade Fire and the Arctic Monkeys somehow are the same band. I know that is very wrong. I realize I'm very wrong when I was looking up what their most popular song on Spotify was. I was very dead wrong. I thought it was going to be covering the band that did Do I Wanna Know, which is a great song all unto itself, but not an Arcade Fire song, fun fact. Going through Funeral, I will say I was driving at the time, and I was very fixed on, like, what I was doing. So I was trying to pay attention to not only, like, everything around me, but also to the music. And one thing that really stood out to me is, although the instrumentation and the sound of Arcade Fire is really cool in Funeral, I cannot understand a single word anybody is saying in this album. I'm not exactly sure what kind of tone they were going for. I could not look up any of the lyrics, and as of recording this, I've also not looked up the lyrics to their songs. That might be a detriment to me, despite not being able to understand what anybody was saying. Um, the sounds of the songs were very interesting, but one thing that I kind of was taken aback by and I didn't quite understand what they were going for with their songs was, for the most part, a majority of the songs on Funeral end in a very different direction than where they began. It doesn't seem like a very coherent piece of music. It's not a very coherent song to me. The ending of songs, for the most part, change tempo and change instrumentation. And to me, I kind of wish that the ending of the songs were the entire song. I thought those endings were way more interesting and way more, I don't know, they were 
there was just something about them that I was like, okay, I can connect to this. I will say that I am thankful that at least for a rock band, like they have a very diverse sound to them. Like it's not just like electric guitars and drums, but like there's a lot of string instrumentation, which I really appreciate. I really did wish I understood what the singers were saying, because it's not just Wynn Butler who's singing on this album. I'm assuming that his wife, Regina, is also singing. And actually, she's the predominant vocalist on this song called Haiti, which I found so gorgeous. It's so lush, and there was something about it that made it stand out from the rest of the album. So if you want to check out this album, that would be my first song choice that I would recommend. I will say that the song before Haiti, called Wake Up, was the song that I felt like I recognized it. I can't tell you exactly where I might have recognized it, but it sounds like it had been part of a commercial or a movie or some soundtrack, so I was familiar with it, but the music just doesn't connect with me, and I'm having a hard time remembering it. Even as I'm recording this, like, nothing is really connecting with me about this. I would say Rolling Stone is pretty spot on when it comes to talking about, like, this sad coming-of-age sound to it. I can understand, like, somebody wanting to listen to this or hearing this in uh, high school and being so moved by this. Like, I get it. If I had found this album earlier, I might also be in that category, or I might dive into Arcade Fire's music a bit more. But for the most part, it kind of reminds me of Fits in the Tantrums, or <laughs> I also wrote in my notes if Scott Pilgrim's band from uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World was any good. <laughs> like, n not to diss on Arcade Fire, but they have a tone to them and a vibe to them that I get why people really like it. If I saw them at a festival or if they were the opener for a concert, that would be a good opener. I think I would have spent money for them, but I would be like, okay, there's something interesting about them. So that's Funeral. Now, I want to talk about the other two albums that were also occupying spot 500 on previous lists. And the first one that I want to talk about was Touch by Eurythmics. What's interesting about this album in particular is that it doesn't pop up again in the 2020 version. And I think that's a goddamn crime. I'm just going to say that right now because this actually is a really great album. I feel very odd saying that it's probably one of the greatest albums of all time, but ooh baby, this is a this is a fire album. This is an album that I just want to dance to it. I just want to go to a club and I just want to dance to it all night long. If you've never listened to Touch by Eurythmics, I would stop this podcast right now and I would go and listen to it immediately. This album starts off so strong with Here Comes the Rain Again, which is probably the second most famous Eurythmics song I can think of behind Sweet Dreams Are Made of These, which who am I to disagree with that? As someone who's very unfamiliar with Eurythmics and with any Lennox as a person, this album made me realize that you can link how influential this album is because this album reminds me of early Lady Gaga music in that dancey, flashy, just this over-the-top, very theatrical, we're throwing spaghetti at a wall and we're seeing what sticks, but 
it's not a messy album to say the least. Like it, it's pretty well cut together. Like every single song is their own separate entity. There's no songs that link to one another, which I'm fine with. Not every album I think needs to flow from one song to the other. I think it's fine to just be like, this is a track. This is another track. This is another track. And just keep going from there. This album is really, really great. It makes me believe that Annie Lennox walked so Lady Gaga could run. And I'm so thankful for that. Also, if someone has a lot more studio experience or mixing experience to do a mashup of Here Comes the Rain Again and Rain On Me, I would be in your debt forever. Why hasn't this been mashed up yet? I don't know. But I need a mashup of this stat. I will say, dear listener, that the version that I listened to on Spotify is the reissued and remastered version. While interesting, it is also a detriment in my mind that kind of takes away its greatness on the list. When I listen to the reissued and remastered version, the album takes a turn. Not in a good direction, in my opinion. And that turn happens with the song You Take Some Lentils. For a couple of songs after that song, it becomes an entirely different album in my mind. From that song onwards, Annie Lennox is gone, and all you're hearing is instrumentation and beats and really cool audio production. The problem I have with it is, you know, your rhythmics is built on the relationship between Annie Lennox and Dave Stewart. So when you take out Annie Lennox and you just have Dave Stewart's uh, production, it doesn't feel whole. Like there's something missing from the image. And the tracks, while they're really masterfully done and they're sonically interesting, I would not listen to them by themselves. I can imagine them being part of a really cool stylized film or on a runway show or being used in somebody else's music. But for the most part, like, if it's a Eurythmic song, I'm expecting Annie Lennox to be there. The album has two live versions of Here Comes the Rain Again and Who's That Girl. And while I think those are fine enough versions, I think it also really showcases that, one, Annie Lennox just sings like that, and I'm so thankful for that. She has a great vocal range. It kind of made me realize that you shouldn't have removed her in the first place when we were listening to those, when we were listening to You Take Some Lentils and ABCs and all those other tracks. Without her presence, those tracks are so flat. It really showcased that Here Comes the Rain Again might not work with another artist, at least not with an artist that isn't of her caliber, I would say. And I just want to touch on the fact that this reissued and remastered version ends with the cover of Fame by David Bowie and John Lennon. And if David Bowie didn't sing this song, I would think that this was a Eurythmics piece. Anna Lennox does a great spin on it, but she doesn't really change how she sings the song. Um, stays very true to the way that Bowie sang it originally, but it also kind of solidified in my mind that she is just as an equal as David Bowie, and we should know a whole lot more about her discography as much as we know about Bowie's. And I know that Rolling Stone really loves David Bowie. He's going to be on this list at some point in the future, so can't wait to dive into Bowie land. Also, dear listener, if you haven't heard them duet, 
under pressure. I would stop this recording right now because listening to those beautifully androgynous people (laughs) singing under pressure to a crowd of thousands and just giving it their all is something to see. It is truly awe-inspiring and it really makes me miss live events so much. In comparison to Touch, Funeral is the weaker album. (laughs) Um, And I'm a little ticked off by Rolling Stone keeping Annie Lennox off this list. Not gonna lie. So finally, we have one more album to talk about. And this album is Aquemini by Outkast from 1998. Now, I has been previously on Rolling Stone's lists. So in 2012, I was the 500th spot. But in 2020, it is number 49 on this list. Now, that is a very significant jump in my mind. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. I don't have that much of a relationship with Outkast. I just know them as the Hey Ya Guys. And I feel very bad thinking that that is the only song I know, because in actuality, I know one of these songs already. I've heard the song Rosa Parks before. My older brother showed me this song when I was younger, because there's no way to forget the pronunciation of the word bus in a song. You cannot forget how someone pronounces bus if you listen to Rosa Parks. I did think that the lyric was bump it, strump it, and maybe it would have fit with the song a little bit better because they do talk about hoes and women in very interesting derogatory ways, but I'm not really offended by it. I get it. It's late 90s rap. So I've heard Rosa Parks before, and I'm really thankful that I actually know this song because it helped me kind of get into this album a little bit better. It's also probably one of the cleanest songs by Outkast, which is probably why my older brother was able to show it to me when I was younger. So I'm thankful for that. Thanks, Casey. Aquemini is, on my first initial listen, one of the tightest albums I have ever listened to. This album, I totally can see why it is number 49 on this list. If you have not listened to it, I would take a moment and educate yourself on this album. It is very, very interesting. And it makes me want to actively look up all of the lyrics and dissect these songs. Especially the song Liberation, which features CeeLo Green, which... uh, Anyway, that song is a very tight song. It has no wasted moment on it, and I want to understand what the singers are saying, first of all. (laughs) It's the opposite problem from Arcade Fire where I can understand what people are saying. However, because it is rap, people are speaking very quickly, so I need to actually take some time and get my ears adjusted to what they're saying. So Aquamini is very interesting in that there's a couple of songs on here that tie to each other sonically from one song to the next. But for the most part, most of the songs end in skits or people talking about different things. Like, I don't know, one standout moment is one guy getting ripped off on the price of his weed from another guy. Very relatable kind of shit. And I think it brings a lot of levity to the songs and the situations that they're rapping about. It also brings an element of humor and kind of fun to the album that I kind of feel is lacking from (laughs) Arcade Fire for its very somber, sad, melancholy. Like, don't get me wrong, 
the material that Outcast is singing about is also very fucking heavy. But I feel like, you know, they strike a good balance by bringing in these vignettes to sort of let the viewer, like, decompress or to take a moment to get ready for the next song and just have fun with the album. You know, this is an album that I think would have been played a lot at parties or, you know, with people like hanging out and smoking weed or drinking and just relaxing, you know, just having a good time. This album also has a lot more songs that immediately stand out for me. One of my favorite things, I want to give a shout out to Skew It On The Barbie because rhyming fools and kangaroos together, I didn't think would work, but it was a chuckle. It made me laugh a little bit. <laughs> I appreciated it. Also, the line about um, comparing a woman to a Stouffer's lasagna made me pause for a second. I thought it was funny. In hindsight, it also that I'm not sure if it's derogatory calling your woman a Stouffer's lasagna because a Stouffer's lasagna is pretty easy to get and it's pretty cheap. So if that's what you want to call your lady, okay. I've already mentioned Liberation as a really tight track and one that I would revisit again. It's eight minutes. It's a long song. I know it's a long song, but there's a lot of different perspectives that come into that song. It brings something new to that track. So it's not boring. It's not a boring eight minutes. Some standout songs that I would recommend people to listen to are West Savannah, The Art of Storytelling Parts 1 and 2, Obviously Liberation, and Chunky Fire ends the album really strongly. Especially with the, the ending line. That's a really strong way of ending the album. So in comparing Funeral, Touch, and Equemini together, personally for me, because I know that Equemini is going to be higher up on this list, I would say... Personally, I would have kept Eurythmics on this list, and I look forward to talking about Aquamini at a later date. I want to let this album stew for me for a little bit. I want to I wanna think about this album a little bit more. And you know what? This podcast is going to give me enough time to think about this album, so when I come back to it, it'll be like revisiting old friends, you know? So, Arcade Fire, I'm so sorry, but you are not moving forward in the greatest of all time. But to all the Arcade Fire fans, I see you, I understand, and I might look into their work a little bit more. We'll see. Uh, to all the Outcast fans, I really look forward to more of their albums coming up, and if you have taken a look at the list, you will see that there's more Outcast to come, so we're gonna get going. Thank you so much for listening. I want to be able to get to a point where I can start bringing guests on and I can make another podcast. That podcast I'm planning on creating is going to be more of a discussion-based podcast. When I was going through the Rolling Stone article, I noticed that there were a lot of albums that I thought were the greatest of all time, and I think they deserve to be on that list more than others. So that podcast, whatever its name will be in the future, will be my chance to make a case for that album or for my guests to make a case for that album, and we'll just have a discussion about why we think that album is deserving. So more things are coming in the future. Thank you so much for your time, and thank you so much for listening. Uh, and let's drop that track. 
Goat or Go is a podcast created and hosted by me, Wendy Kay. I also edit the podcast. Original artwork is by Paige A. Special thanks to the entire Rolling Stone magazine writing team. Without you, there wouldn't be this podcast. Follow the podcast on social media, Goat or Go Pod. If you want to support the show on Patreon, link is in the show notes. Thank you so much, music lovers. Keep on listening, and I'll see you next week.